0: It's not always easy to acknowledge, but it's important to understand. We teach others how to treat us. This is one of the most important lessons that I've learned and one that I've shared too many times to count with my coaching clients. For example, if we respect ourselves, we teach others to treat us with respect. But what do we do when, despite our best efforts, what we're teaching isn't getting through? Welcome to Episode 2 of How Can I Say This, where we talk about how to find the right words when words escape us. I'm your host, Beth Below, and I am very grateful that you are joining me today. There are lots of reasons why what we teach others about how to treat us doesn't always stick. We're going to explore a few of them in this episode and probably revisit the topic repeatedly through the lifespan of this podcast. During my conversation with today's guest, we look specifically at what makes someone a bully or narcissist and offer some communication strategies for keeping yourself out of harm's way. We'll also respond to listener questions about establishing boundaries and how to break a pattern of isolation in relationships. I'm pleased to welcome to the podcast, Dr. Laurie Helgo, who I've had the honor to call a colleague and friend through my work with The Introvert Entrepreneur. Laurie is a psychologist, educator, and author specializing in the relationship between personality and culture. She is an associate professor of behavioral sciences at the Ross University School of Medicine and author of several books, including Introvert Power, Why Your Inner Life is Your Hidden Strength. Her next book, Fragile Bully, Understanding America's Destructive Affair with Narcissism, is set to be released in early 2019. Information for contacting Lori, as well as links to various resources mentioned in the episode, are found at howcanisaythis.com. Hi, Laurie. Welcome to How Can I Say This? I am really looking forward to chatting with you about bullies and narcissists.
1: (laughs) I am so happy to be here, and I'm really excited about your new podcast series. I think it's very needed these days.
0: Oh, thank you so much. Yeah, I'm super excited too. And this is our second episode. So it's all fresh and new and yeah, just so curious to see what direction it goes. Yeah. So to open up, I want you to tell us a little bit about your forthcoming book. Um it comes out in March of 2019. I can't believe I'm saying two thousand nineteen. <laughs> right. And it's called Fragile Bully, Understanding America's Destructive Affair with Narcissism. Tell us a little bit about that and what led you to write it.
1: Sure. I wrote it around the time of the two thousand sixteen election a lot of polarization going on, a lot of talk about narcissism. But what I was most struck by at that time, and what I found myself wanting to write about, was not just what was going on on TV screens and in the political world, but what was going on in Facebook exchanges, and what was going on among family members, and the ways that Narcissism, regardless of who we pin it on, was kind of infecting us all. Mm And that whether we were reacting to it or reacting kind of out of our own narcissistic, either collective narcissism or our own individual narcissism and our need to declare our take on things, Mm -hmm. it was just a pretty ugly time. And I think it still is in many circles. And what I noticed is that the very efforts that we seem to be making to kind of counter this narcissism in the political sphere and in our culture actually seem to be perpetuating the problem. And so I became interested in what the researcher Paul Wattell has talked about as vicious circles in which our efforts to solve a problem actually feed it. Mm-hmm. And so I started writing about the destructive dances that we have in relation to narcissism and how we then might understand those interactions and then how we might unhook from them. And the concept of fragile bully really comes out of the idea that What hooks us often is this combination of feeling bullied, Mm -hmm. but also there being kind of an underlying fragility, which causes us to kind of take care of the bully at the same time. Mm -hmm. And so it's it's a very perplexing uh, dilemma to try to deal with.
0: Because it seems to me, and I'm not a psychologist like you are, so I'm speculating that narcissists are probably very insecure, and that's where the fragility comes in whether they know they're insecure or not I don't know but I mean okay. what what is your take on that
1: Okay. Yeah. And by the way, you're a very psychologically minded non-psychologist. So (laughs) (laughs) I I respect your your observations there. It's interesting because there actually is some controversy about how insecure narcissists are. And this is the problem with trying to have one definition of Mm -hmm. what seems to be more of a spectrum disorder. And it's not even always a disorder. We have both a continuum between healthy narcissism, which or normal narcissism, and, and pathological, you know, all the way to the extreme of malignant narcissism. But we also seem to have kind of a continuum in terms of this fragile bully spectrum. And people more that just are way on the bully end of it might actually come across as quite secure mm-hmm. and, you know, cocky and comfortable with themselves and be very unreceptive, you know, to what anybody else says. And then at the fragile end, you you have more kind of hypervigilance and maybe an overconcern mm-hmm. about what people say. And then a lot of people kind of in that middle fragile bully place. What I will say about it is that I think that there is something certainly unstable about the self image, or not unstable, but fragile <laughs> is maybe a good word. But, it, but it's fragile in a different sense. There's There's two senses, I think, of fragile. One is that I'll fall apart if anybody says anything bad about me, so I need to manipulate everybody to stroke my ego all the time. That's a kind of insecurity. Then there's a, a kind of just an insecurity which comes from having an ego that is so built up on a false self, on this kind of grandiose, artificially constructed self mm-hmm. that is not very solid. It's mm-hmm. not rounded. So then you have somebody who may lash out and have narcissistic kind of rage responses because if somebody sees them in a way that's outside of that constructed grandiose self. So that to me is fragile, but it it may not come across as fragile. and Mm -hmm. that person may not really have, you know, a lot of conscious insecurities, but they're carrying around a self that isn't very sustainable Mm. without having that destructive element. Yeah.
0: Well, I just realized as we're talking, especially when you said there's that spectrum and, and you know, you and I have worked in the introvert space now for quite some time, and we know that we can't take it for granted that everybody shares the same definition of introvert. Right. So I'm wondering if you could quickly, quickly, haha, um, (laughs) give us a definition of kind of classic narcissist. If someone is kind of a classic narcissist, what does that look like?
1: Yes, the definition is is kind of evolving in some ways, because um, current research and and looking at kind of commonalities, there's this antagonism feature. And then, uh, you know, also this sense of entitlement that are generally present, whether you're talking about people that are more in the vulnerable narcissist uh, subtype or the grandiose narcissist subtype. I think that Ultimately, and if we look at what even the origin of the term narcissism, it comes from, you know, the myth of Narcissus, who was in love with himself and couldn't take his eyes off of himself. Mm-hmm. And so I think that probably the simplest way to think of narcissism is this excessive self-focus and self-concern at the expense of concern about others. So that impairs empathy, that impairs, you know, the ability to be present and receptive to others and receptive to input, you know, from the world. And so that's where the kind of antagonism can come into play, um, need to kind of control people and control input, um, control reality in a sense. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. And and in fact, there was one study uh, that looked at kind of childhood precursors of narcissism and one commonality among different subtypes of narcissism was this need for control But I would say, you know, if we just boil it down, I I think excessive self-focus is is definitely in there. Mm -hmm. And that may take kind of a quiet, introverted nature of somebody who's just kind of within themselves and, you know, demands a lot of attention because of vulnerability, that kind of thing, or somebody who is into themselves in very verbal vocal ways. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Either way, the world is focused on their own reflection. Yeah.
0: And I don't want to open up a Pandora's box of speculation. But when you talk about it on a spectrum, just like we talk about introvert, extrovert, everybody has some of each in them. Mm-hmm. Would you say everyone has a piece of narcissism in them that is part of ego?
1: Yeah so I would say that that everybody does have to contend with narcissism in, in some you know some way and mm-hmm. one perspective is that there's a continuum from very very low narcissism to, you know actually a unhealthy low level to an unhealthy high level right. so somebody who really mm-hmm. feels no sense of entitlement, no sense of worthiness uh, unwilling toness mm-hmm. to kind of self, advocate might actually do well to boost up their level of narcissism. I think more psychodynamically oriented people might say that those people have just really split off and and kind of buried their own narcissistic tendencies and might then be attracted to people who are more narcissistic because they they kind of build in, you know, that, that, that space. That's one thing that I really talk about in my book is how we all have to contend with narcissism within, whether it is that we, we're we not really owning the need for some self-focus
0: mm-hmm.
1: or whether we are kind of caught up in ourselves.
0: Yeah. Well, you know, so what if we realize that we're in relationship or we work with someone who's, you know, maybe on the the narcissistic enough scale, and we have little choice but to engage with them and try to do that in the healthiest way possible? What are some strategies that might help us to communicate and engage with them?
1: That's a tough one, because <laughs> dealing with people narcissistically inclined to a pathological extent is challenging. You know, so let's acknowledge that. Mm -hmm. However, the way it's challenging often has to do with parts of ourselves that are ready to get hooked. And so, for example, if we're prone to guilt Mm -hmm. (laughs) and somebody very needy can kind of hook us into continuing to provide in ways that that ultimately harm us, what we would do best with is working with that you know that place that gets hooked mm-hmm. and how we can close that off and 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 not be so receptive to getting into the dance there's all kinds of ways that narcissists can hook us um sometimes a narcissist who's kind of buffoonish can in a way be actually entertaining but also destructive there can be a way that we can kind of take it on a superior position and kind of get off on that mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that that's one of the dances i talk about the superior dance and so what we do is at the same time that we're kind of belittling the narcissist we are actually not holding that person accountable because we're not taking them seriously and so we actually disempower the exchange that way if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: So I, I think it's it's very hard to say in a universal way mm-hmm. how you deal with it. But I think looking at at as a dance, looking at the vicious circle and looking where you get hooked and how you know how you inadvertently feed the cycle that I think is a starting point for for shifting the dynamic.
0: I am so I'm smiling as you're sharing this because I'm thinking about the conversation that I just had in the first episode with a gentleman named Kern Berry and he leads workshops on difficult conversations under the name Pop the Bubble. (laughs) And one of the things that he shares with people is when it comes to having a difficult conversation and, and I would extend that to, you know, talking with someone with whom communication might be challenging He says it's not about them, it's about you. And what you just said reinforces that idea, like, look at yourself, what's triggering you? How are you know, what's your role in the dance, right? And start there.
1: And somebody who has um, a narcissistic disorder is going to require, you know, kind of a higher level of, of emotional intelligence in that regard or self awareness in that regard. Uh, so I guess the upside of the challenge yeah. is that it really forces us to contend with any demons that are lingering <laughs> in our own psyches.
0: Absolutely. 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 Well, in the in the spirit of knowing that bullying and narcissism is on a continuum, which I really appreciate that clarification, I want to turn to a couple listener questions. And this first one, while it's not an extreme form of bullying or narcissism, it is an everyday example of how someone can manipulate us or even subtly bullying us into saying yes, when the answer is no. So everyone bear with me. This is a a longer question, but I want to um, honor what Marianne has submitted here. Um, She wrote to me, she said, recently, I was struggling with a longtime client who really pushes back when he doesn't like when he's hearing, especially during times of stress. As an example, Rob hasn't been able to give me any work for about nine months due to budget cuts at his company. And so, of course, I've worked hard to find other work and new clients to fill that gap. So when he emailed me last week to find out if I could help with a rush project, I had to regretfully say no due to my own workload. A few days passed, and he asked me again via email if I was available to help on a project with a really hot deadline. I again expressed how sorry I was that I couldn't lend a hand, and this time said I could help with any work after mid-September. So yesterday, when Rob emailed me for the third time, essentially repeating the same request as if the previous conversations had not occurred, I was at a loss to respond. After some deliberation, I picked up the phone, thinking that maybe the problem was email, and he surprised me by saying, oh, yeah, I know you're swamped. The feeling I got was that he thought if he kept asking, I would eventually break down and say yes. This is a problem I also have in my personal life, with relatives who won't take no for an answer. I say no, but I don't feel good about it. What could I do better next time this happens with Rob, or with anyone for that matter?
1: Wow. (laughs) Great. <laughs> I, right. I mean, I, I think it's a long question, but it really gives us some context. Yes. And um, what strikes me about it is is how the your your listener, um, the language she uses. Um, she regretfully said no. She said how sorry she was, mm-hmm. and that it doesn't feel good to say no. Yeah. And so right away, I'm thinking of a hook, uh, a kind of a, a place where that's ready to be hooked. Mm -hmm. Now, now that said, I think what gets lost and, and I'm glad that you're, you're putting this in the category of bullying. It's a very subtle form. Um, but it is, it is a lack of, of this person is not listening. It's all one sided. It's what I need. And I'm going to keep, you know, asking you Mm -hmm. (laughs) what I need. What happens is that, Part of the reality gets very much erased in these interactions um, because she is continuing to be very caretaking, you know, how sorry I am kind of attitude when, um, you know, he is actually um, taking up her time, asking her to respond again at a time she's very busy um, and and not just hearing and acknowledging what she's saying. Mm-hmm. So this is where, and um, Craig Malcolm, who's written about narcissism, talks about this, where empathy prompts can be very helpful. And what he means by that is not showing the uh, narcissist more empathy, but asking them to empathize with you. Mm. So, mm-hmm. you know, on the second time, it's like, um, you know, that saying something in the fact that, it's uncomfortable for me to have to say this again, mm-hmm. so please understand. But just even something like that, it's uncomfortable for me, is, is saying, I'm in here, I'm in the conversation, this isn't just about you. And it's amazing, uh, Malcolm's research has really shown that that will shift often the dynamic. And if it doesn't, that says something, sure, right? Sure, sure. But it's interesting that when she called him uh, and he did shift, mm-hmm. I think it's somehow that facing him and, and kind of her acknowledging, you know, this is a problematic communication somehow did shift things. And so she, I, I think, was wise to do that. She kind of got off of the, you know, the repetitive mm-hmm. um, Roller coaster that was starting to happen. But because she says that this happens with family too, I would encourage her to look at her discomfort with saying no, um, because there seems to be some idea that that is doing harm rather than recognizing it as her own self protection as her own boundary as as just clear good communication and and to the extent that she puts out there this idea that she's doing harm people might seize on that mm-hmm. people who are especially you know mighty more self you know absorbed Mm -hmm. and and needy might seize on that and 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 take advantage yeah
0: that's where that's like i'll wear you down right? Um, because i know that you are well people say like a pushover or i can take advantage of you and and they might not use those words and we don't like to think of ourselves that way because we look at it as like I'm an accommodating person, Indeed. or I, I love to help.
1: Absolutely, it's a tough one, and I I can relate to. I I would be more of that one. I you know that you know, so, I, you know, <laughs> being very sorry and regretful and all those things. And, and I've yeah. learned from my husband, who's an attorney, who and I say this in the book, is that sometimes we have to be a little less sensitive to the other person, um, yeah. that sometimes mm-hmm. that, that can hurt us because when it impairs our ability to remain sensitive to ourselves and we, we kind of cooperate with the narcissistic person mm-hmm. in kind of making it all about them, you know, then, then our sensitivity is being used against us. Yeah.
0: Well, along those lines, I wondered as I as I read this question and pondered it that, you know, at what point is it ever appropriate or does it do any good? And I think this goes along with maybe something of an empathy prompt to say, oh, you know, I'm, I I understand that, you know, you've you need some help and maybe this was unexpected you you had indicated to me that it would be about 9 months before you had anything for me and so because i've got to put food on the table i you know had to fill up my client load yes. um so i hope you understand that you know that's that's one reason i'm not uh, not available so it, it's uh you know perhaps doing a little bit of mirroring back and saying remember this you know <laughs> um
1: yeah i like you know. that because i i think that's that's very humanizing mm-hmm. you know the kind Kind of, I've gotta put food on the table, you know, um, yeah, I mean, having that kind of two sided response that you know, I wish I did have time, but listen, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you weren't there when I needed the work, and now i'm now I'm full, yeah. um, and please understand it just yeah, it's just uh, so yeah, then it's not just about you, it's about yeah, that my needs and your me needs. Are, you know, just didn't line up. This exactly.
0: Time. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. It's like acknowledging that there's mutual responsibility <laughs> for the situation. You know, he right. sort of brought it on himself yeah. <laughs> and, yeah. and kind of positioned her to you know, served as a catalyst for her to fill up her calendar. And and I would say, sometimes I think, you know, it's like, how can I say this? It's also not, well, a lack of planning on your part doesn't constitute an emergency on my part. <laughs> that I would, right. that I might think right. that, but I would not say it.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, right, exactly.
0: Well, thank you for that. And I want to do one more question that comes from a listener. And this one is asking us to put on our introvert hats. Right. So I'm sure you'll have some perspective. And this one came in anonymously as an introvert probably would. (laughs) They wrote, As an introvert, I feel I have so much I don't share but wish I could. Rather than it getting easier as I get older, this pattern is becoming more and more entrenched, debilitating, and isolating. How can I show people who I really am when I seem to have an instinctive inclination to hold it in despite wanting to connect?
1: Great question. So I when I think about myself and that dilemma Because I I do think we all have some need to be known and to express ourselves. Mm -hmm. But for introverts, doing that in high-pressured situations, doing that kind of boldly with people we don't know real well, for example, is not in our comfort zone. And and I really try to think of ways – within our comfort zone, rather than that old advice, leave your comfort zone. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. You know, I'm with you on that.
1: (laughs) Thank you very much. Yep. So, you know, there are ways that people can get support for being more self-expressive, like Toastmasters. Uh, taking improv class, that kind of thing, where, you know, it's it's part of the terms of, you know, everybody's doing it, it's expected, mm-hmm. and and there's tons of support from people to do that. And that can kind of loosen the, the wheels, too, and kind of grease the wheels, I should say, to kind of bring that out into other forums. The other thing I think of is that are there ways, because introverts, at least generally, and, and we're a diverse group, We often like to be asked, you know, invited to speak, Mm -hmm. to say something about ourselves. We certainly uh, tend to hate interrupting, interjecting ourselves. Um, Not that there's anything wrong with that, but it just it does tend to go against our natural inclinations. So, you know, she may be thinking about ways to get people curious about her. Um, I have a bag that I carry around that um, I put stickers on wherever I travel. And so it's just enameled with stickers from everywhere. And wherever I go, people comment on it. And it's a nice opening for, you know, where I've traveled, you know, where do you get the bag? It kind of gets people interested in me.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: A T-shirt can do that. Um, You know, so perhaps if just verbally, you know, kind of, telling people about herself feels less comfortable telling about herself through her, you know, how she dresses or, you Mm -hmm. know, even, you know, having a book in a coffee shop sometimes can be a way for people to find common ground to talk about. So, so I think thinking along those lines of how to communicate who you are, not just in the standard, you know, verbal speaking way, but visually might be another way to get things moving in a conversation.
0: Yeah, I love that because it's like it's a less risky point of entry to conversation. It's it's kind of the equivalent of saying, how's the weather or, (laughs) you know, talking about the weather. And, And you're making me think, I wonder if I can attribute my own desire to connect with people because I just moved to a new town seven months ago and didn't know anybody really when we got here. And I found myself attracted to graphic tees lately, you know, like graphic t-shirts that have stuff on them that, and of course, I choose them carefully. I want them to reflect something about me. Okay. And, and now you're making me think... Okay, maybe my subconscious was at work of, you know, this is one way to connect with other people that I don't know and just even start a conversation. Right. That's great. Very low risk.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And and yet more meaningful than how's the weather mm-hmm. because it actually says something yeah. about you.
0: Exactly. Yeah, I find it just opens up things, you know, and before you know it you're talking about the things that really matter.
1: Right. The final thing I might say about that is that with anything like that, where you're wanting to uh, be bolder in the world, to start with an intimate friend or family member Mm -hmm. and just even rehearsing and practicing. I, I think we don't sometimes give ourselves that when we're thinking about Social engagement, for example, yeah. um, as if we're all supposed to know how to do it. Um, <laughs> <Yeah>. You know, <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: You know, so to practice scenarios, how might I interject myself in a dinner conversation? And um, and again, places like Toastmasters are, are great for that because they're all kinds of different kinds of speaking opportunities that are rehearsed in Toastmasters. I mean, from right. from actually just a little bit, this is a little bit about me to arguing a point, you know, so that's a great forum. And that's available, you know, all over. Yeah, you're reminding
0: us also that uh, like introverts generally, when it comes to social situations, appreciate structure, kind of like to know what to expect. When am I going to speak? Who's going to be there? What's the agenda? (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Um, Yes. So that's a wonderful way to to help break that pattern. You know, she talks about a pattern. And, and I think part of what we're talking about here is how can you break that pattern and experience something different, gather new evidence that says you can share about yourself,
1: right? Feeding the desire, you know, in whatever way you do that, uh, will kind of build momentum. Mm -hmm. For me, uh, and a lot of introverts counterintuitively to some acting and, and having a, a stage where I can play somebody else has been a great way for me to mm-hmm. express something of me that I might feel less comfortable expressing, you know, as me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> right? Absolutely. I think that's why a lot of actors are introverts,
1: Yeah,
0: <laughs> or introverts are actors, I should say. <laughs> yeah. And, and I just want to add one last thing that came up for me as I thought about this, and this was kind of with my coaching hat on, when I think about if we feel like we're withholding ourselves from other people, to me, it begs the question about, like, who is around you? Like, do you trust them? Do you feel safe with them? And I think that goes to part of what you were saying, Laurie, about, like, find situations where that kind of sharing is invited and even expected. But I'm thinking even on a personal level, you know, do you have people around you that you trust and and that you feel safe with? And if you do trust them, then there's an opportunity to look inward as well and say, well, do I trust myself? Am I carrying around my own safety? Am I able to feel that sense of self-worth and confidence and trust in who I am, what I have to offer to the world, and then be able to you know, as we've been, you know, talking about have those very low risk ways of of putting that out there and kind of dipping your toe in um, to see, you know, to start to gather that evidence that says, Yeah, I, I have something to share here that is um, awesome. And, and people want to hear it,
1: right? Yeah, I think that's a wonderful point about um, kind of the safety within the social circle Mm -hmm. or what, you know, who are you? Working to express yourself with, and and is there something about those people that that is also a part of the problem? Right, right. I remember when I I became very deliberate about finding, quote, my people, Mm -hmm. um, and it was when I recognized that the people I was with were not those people. um, And I I kind of made a bow to myself. If being with certain people leaves me feeling worse about myself, that's (laughs) not the kind of people I want to be around. and and not even that these are bad people, but somehow the way they they communicate or the the values um, that they have versus the values I have um, do not leave room for who I am. And when I don't have room for who I am, uh, I feel diminished. I feel, you know, different. I, I question myself. I feel bad about myself. And and yeah. that's not a good way to be.
0: <laughs> right, right.
1: And it, right. it seemed like such a simple decision to make, but it was very profound um, because it makes the whole world of difference when you're, you're in a social context where you feel uh, invited to be there.
0: Yeah, safety makes all the difference. Well, thank you for unpacking those questions with me and offering insights. I hope that the listeners who asked those questions found some value in that. And um, anyone who's listening that the question resonated with them, it gave them some food for thought. As we wrap up here, I'm just curious to kind of go back to the the bully piece. What do you think is the most important thing for someone to be aware of <laughs> when they have a bully in their
1: life? Wow. Um I find myself thinking of, of statements that might come off as trite, you know, the, but the idea that we can choose what to allow to kind of come in, it's easier said than done. Mm-hmm. But ultimately that, that whole idea of, of not taking things personally becomes very, very important. That when you find somebody bullying, um, whether that bullying is in just a very manipulative way, um, kind of even a needy sort of way, or in an aggressive sort of way you need to kind of have a clear boundary that that is their behavior. That is something they're doing and how much you engage is, is up to you. And certainly there are times where you actually need help disengaging. I mean, mm-hmm. if you're in a domestic abuse situation, for example, right. but there are many times where it's just too hard. It seems to not text back. Yes. You know? Right. We have the choice to not text back to let that person to have that behavior. And, and I think the, te- the need to fix, the need to resolve, the need to respond, the need to one-up, whatever it is, are, those parts of it are, you know, within our control. Mm-hmm. And it doesn't feel good to have unfinished conversations. But trying to finish an unfinished conversation <laughs> <laughs> keeps you in purgatory. Yeah that's where sometimes we need to learn to become more comfortable with being uncomfortable, more comfortable with allowing others to be uncomfortable. And that may be the real challenge of dealing with bullies.
0: Yeah, sometimes how can I say this is I say nothing. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, it's like knowing when not to say something. Well, thank you so much, Laurie. It's been um, fabulous talking with you. I know we'll be talking again in the future. <laughs> I, I think you will. And especially around um, when your book comes out, I look forward to um, picking up the conversation then, if not before then. So if people want to find you, where where can they uh, look you
1: up? My website is drlauriehelgo.com, um, but they can also find me on Introvert Power on Facebook, the Introvert Power page. Um, that's where I probably am most active active and interactive right now um, and also on I'm on Twitter uh, under my name Lori Helgo so um, yeah those are all places and I do have a psychology today album but I uh, album <laughs> yeah. I'm going over to <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that would be interesting. Um, now, I don't have a Psychology be. Today album, but I do have a blog. <laughs> and um, <laughs> But uh, I have been writing a book, so I've been doing more of that than the blogging lately. So, um, yeah, but those are all places yeah. they you- can they can find what I've written or how to engage with me
0: awesome and I will make sure that there are links on the podcast episode page so if people want to reach out so thank you so much for um, the conversation and for your insights Um, very helpful so thank you Laurie
1: oh I enjoy I love the tough questions so this was great Quick reminder as we wrap up
0: here that you will find ways to contact Lori, as well as any links to resources that we mentioned in the conversation at the podcast website of howcanisaythis.com. Join me for the next episode when I'll be responding to listener questions about how to gracefully exit a client relationship, tell someone their help isn't needed, and extract yourself from a TMI conversation. As we come to a close, here's the call to action for you. Make a commitment to noticing how others treat you. Do they listen when you say no? Do they ask for your thoughts or opinions? Do they take your ideas and feelings seriously? If you find that the answer to any or all of those questions is no, it's a good opportunity to look inward and ask yourself, what signals am I sending that would contribute to someone thinking it was okay to not respect my needs, wants, or expertise? This is not to say that it's all on you. Yet, if we're really honest with ourselves, we'll sometimes find that we are being overly deferential to others, putting their needs and interests before ours more than we should, and saying no, but allowing ourselves to be manipulated into a grudging yes. On the other hand, you might find, after some reflection, like Ann did, that you're sending all the right signals. They're just not being received. If that's the case, look for opportunities to be even more transparent in stating your needs and the why behind your response. Notice where you're getting hooked and trying to placate someone else, and try out some empathy prompts that ask the other person to understand your position. If you have a how can I say this question to submit for a future episode, there are two different ways you can do it. You can use the online submission form at howcanisaythis.com. Or you can leave a voicemail 24-7 at 562-704-6643. And here's that number again, 562-704-6643. And no worries if you don't have a way to write that down. The number is listed on the same page as the online submission form. And no matter how you submit your question, whether you leave a voicemail or you use the form, you can use your name or you have the choice to be completely anonymous if you like. Feel free to ask about a generic situation or get more specific. Either way, we would love to hear from you. And if you enjoy this podcast, please share it with your family, friends, and colleagues. I also invite you to take a moment to leave a review on iTunes. We want to transform the lives of as many people as possible, and subscribers and reviews help boost the visibility of the podcast so that more people can find us. Thank you so much for thinking about that and for your support. This is Beth Bilo, and you've been listening to How Can I Say This? Our podcast producer is Paul Messing, and our theme music is by Brett Anderson. Thanks for joining me today, and I invite you to take what you've learned here and use it to speak up, speak out, and speak courageously.